Father, all of these needs you already know about, but you give us the grace to be able to lift them up to you. And we do so knowing that you love us, you desire the best for us, and for all of those that we love and care about. Give us faith and strength to pray continually for our needs and for the needs of others, while also give us the wisdom to accept the answers you provide, whether we always understand them or not. And now, Father, it is in this faith that we pray together the prayer that your Son Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We now have the opportunity to get together to declare what we believe by reciting the most universal of all of the creeds of the church, the Nicene Creed. So I encourage you to please stand and join in reciting the creed as it appears on the screens. Saying together, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, we came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated. I've told the story before that when I was in seminary, I was teaching a Bible study for a church, and it was clear as we were going along that some of the people in this Bible study who attended church every week did not believe some of the things that we've just said. And my comment to one of the gentlemen was, you know, every week in church you recite the Nicene Creed, right? He said, yes. <clears throat> and I said, well, do you not believe that? And he said, well, you know, we say those things every week, but nobody really believes that anymore. Well, brothers and sisters, if you're new to our church, you need to know we do believe that. This is what we believe. This is what we stand for. The Nicene Creed, the other great creeds of the church, we believe that this is true, and it's what we seek to live by. Well, I'm sure that I don't need to convince you that our Western culture is obsessed with the topic of love. All you need is love, the love boat, love American style, Give me love, 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 crazy love. If you can't be with the one you love, then love the one you're with, and on and on and on. 
Our culture is clearly obsessed with the idea of love. We seek it, we sing about it, we talk about it, we even suffer for it. But do we really know what love, that is real love, is? Do we know what it's all about? Or to put the question another way, how can we talk and sing so much about love in our culture and yet seemingly have so relatively little of it in most of our daily lives? I started this series of sermons just last week on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit being love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as found in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. Now, prior to the series that we began last week on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we had looked at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not the same thing. The gifts of the Holy Spirit include teaching, prophecy, leadership, healing, discernment, service, hospitality, and so on. And we're told very clearly in Scripture that God the Holy Spirit gives to every Christian one or more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But Paul says plainly that not everyone will have all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, we're told that all of us are supposed to have and manifest in our Christian lives all nine of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so now we continue our consideration of the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit by starting with the first one and the most important one, which is the fruit of love. The Apostle Paul speaks to us on the topics of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and especially this first fruit, the fruit of love, in one of the most beautiful and powerful and most popular passages in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter. I'm quite confident if you've been to more than one Christian wedding in your life, then you certainly will have heard this read, usually right after the playing of Pachelbel's Canon. Um, but this is one of the most beautiful and most popular of the chapters in Scripture. And I want to read portions of 1 Corinthians 13 to you now. Hear now this, which is the word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And now down to verse 8. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall, uh, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. While you may not have noticed it before in this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul here is actually contrasting the relative importance of the gifts of the Spirit, 
which we spent quite a bit of time talking about recently, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In this passage, he mentions a number of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues, prophecy, the gift of knowledge, of faith, and of giving. All of those are ones we've talked about recently. (coughs) Excuse me. Clearly, Paul thinks that it is important for us as Christians to exercise these gifts. But here, he plainly tells us that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are only valuable if they are expressed in the light and context of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Without love, the first and most foundational of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit become meaningless. They are, as Paul says here, like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, they have no real value. Obviously, Paul is not the only one in Scripture to emphasize the importance of love. When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he replies, Shema Israel, hear, O Israel, quoting Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said the most important commandment is love God, and the second, which is very close to it, bumping right up against it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. So if love is so important, if it's the thing that people obsess about so much, is, and if it is, according to Jesus, the basis of the greatest commandment to love God and the second greatest commandment to love others as we love ourselves, then why do we seem to experience, as I said before, relatively little of this kind of love, even in our Christian lives? Well, I believe it's because we misunderstand quite frequently both the nature and the source of real love. Many people seem to think that love is the sort of rockets and flares effect that we get when we meet someone who makes our heart flutter. The feeling that we get from romantic love. Well, C.S. Lewis in his book The Four Loves says that that kind of love, that sort of emotional thing, cannot last because we couldn't survive it for very long. But when that goes away, we then have to learn how to truly love, to have the real love that is needed. But because people think that romantic love is what love is, they then think it is a product that comes out of themselves, that it comes out of their own heart, that love is a thing that they can produce, that they can somehow generate it from somewhere inside themselves in response to someone that they're attracted to. But while that romantic love is valid as far as it goes, it is only a pale shadow, actually, It is only an emotional manifestation of what real love is supposed to be. And the source of real love is not us. It is not something that is produced in us in response to another person. The real source, the only real source of love, is God. In fact, we are told in more than one place in the New Testament, God is love. It is his very nature. As we read in the fourth chapter of John's first epistle, the first letter of John, he writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. 
God is not only the source of love, He is Himself love. And we, if we are to find real love, we must find it in God. We cannot produce it out of ourselves because it is not just an emotion. All of us, every human being that has ever lived is made in the image of God. And the reason we're made in the image of God is because we were intended to be in relationship with God. And every human heart, until they come into relationship with God, by accepting Jesus Christ and the reconciliation that comes in Him, until we are reconciled with God, there is always a hunger. The God-shaped vacuum in in every person's heart, as Pascal called it. There is always a dissatisfaction, always an itch, always something that we feel is missing. And we try to fill that with relationships, with people, with bigger houses, with faster cars, with boats, with drugs, with alcohol, with any number of things, with power, with new positions. We think that those things will fill the emptiness that we experience, but they will not. Every human heart has an awareness of their need for God. And since God is love, they likewise have a sense that they need love. They desire love. Now, for many hearts, that awareness of the presence of God, of being made in the image of God, is very dim. And in the hearts of those whose sense of God, of being made in the image of God, is dim, their awareness and love of God will be very dim. For the great saints of the church, those who have truly loved God, have been miraculously gifted with the love of God that they express in their lives. That that spark of the image of God is a bonfire in them. But we all desire love because we all desire God, whether we know it or not, and God is love. Therefore, we are obsessed with love because our hearts desire God more than anything else. And so we desire love. We were created for relationship with God again, and our hearts desire God and relationship with God, and we understand that we need love because of that. But still, many of us make the mistake of thinking that love is something that comes from inside us, that love is a human product, and we somehow can generate love either for a romantic partner or for a neighbor or for a friend if we just work at it hard enough. Brothers and sisters, that will never work. We will never be able to love, really love, unless God is involved in it. Too often we try to generate love from inside and it turns out not to be love at all. That all we are able to produce from inside is a misguided effort at self-gratification, often expressed in lust or a desire to meet some other appetite, mistaking that for love. This is, this is how the horrendous evil of abuse can exist in so many relationships that are supposed to be founded in love. So many instances where we do not, as people, value the object of our love because we don't really know what love is. Real love must come from God. If it does not come from God, then it cannot be real love. But the good news, the great good news is that our God, who is himself love, wants to share his love with us. He wants to fill our hearts with love. And he is the only one that can do it. When we are in Christ, 
We are given the Holy Spirit to reside in us. And the Holy Spirit desires to give us the fruit in our lives that shows that He is present and that we are part of the body of Jesus Christ. That the Holy Spirit is in us representing Christ and that we are in Him. And the very first, the most foundational of the things that shows up in our life when we are when we accept Jesus Christ and have the Holy Spirit is the fruit of love. First and foremost. And again, I have to say, understand that you cannot by any effort of your own make yourself more loving. You cannot love your neighbor by your own efforts. You cannot love your enemy. G.K. Chesterton, one of my heroes, says the reason Scripture tells us to love our neighbor and to love our enemy is that frequently it's the same person. You cannot create or generate love out of yourself. But if we understand that, if we understand and accept that God is love and that He wants, with our cooperation, to plant and grow His love inside us, then we can increase in love. We can experience greater love. Greater love for God, greater love for ourselves, for our families, our friends, our neighbors, and yes, as Jesus commanded us, even love for our enemies. You wonder how people are able to do that? The Amish community that was able to forgive and embrace the family of the man who went into an Amish school in Pennsylvania and killed children, and the family then, the, the Amish families then supported his mother and others and did not bear bitterness or anger, but rather showed love. How did they do that? This man killed their children. It's because they knew the love of God and could even love their enemies. Jesus is the model for that. He loved God the Father and desired to spend time with Him more than anything else. Over and over in the midst of His ministry, Jesus would go off alone into the mountains around the Sea of Galilee to spend time in relationship with God the Father. He also loved His family. He loved His friends. He loved and healed strangers that He met along the way. And He even loved His enemies. Remember that after Jesus was betrayed, wrongly or falsely accused, beaten and crucified, Jesus still from the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is how people, godly people, down through the centuries have managed to forgive even atrocities because they had grown the love of God in their hearts. So do you want to find true, real love? Do you want the love that Scripture tells us casts out all fear so that you never have to be afraid again? Do you want to find the love that is kind, that rejoices in good, that believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and never fails, which we read in the rest of 1 Corinthians 13? Do you want that kind of real, true, eternal, unwavering love? If you do, there is only one place to find it. And that is from God, the Holy Spirit. The good news is that God wants you to have this kind of love and to have it in abundance. All you have to do is understand that only God is the source of that love and then ask God to give you this fruit of the Holy Spirit, love. And be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to begin 
to apply the fruit of love in your life. If you will do that and do it humbly and sincerely, God has promised that he will begin to fill your heart with love. Now, not all at once. Love is too valuable and it's too powerful for you to receive all of the potential of the love of God all at one time to manifest in your own life. But as you will surrender yourself to God and seek Him who is love, you will begin to experience that love more and more in your life until you reach the point where you can forgive even your enemies. And as you grow in love, you will learn what it means to love God completely, to love yourself appropriately, and to love your neighbors compassionately. And you will find the satisfaction in love that everyone in the world is singing about and hoping for and wishing for because God has promised to give it if you will ask. Amen.